Since the dawn of human civilization and the discovery of the word competition, tribes of Homo sapiens have cheered for the representative of their community's little patch of woodland cave or even local watering hole, supporting the hometown guy as they took on a rival tribe member. Having a raucous group of hollering, salivating Neanderthals bounce up and down and cheer your name will certainly do wonders for your motivation, as well as your ego, but how much of an advantage does it really confer to have your hometown community present at your next Mano a Mano contest? Well, I've scoured the history books to find for you today the best and most identifiable examples of it in MMA. I am Balian from MMA On Point and today we're taking a look at 10 dubious home field advantages. Number 10. Derek Lewis, Texas. When playing the hometown association game, you'd be hard-pressed to find an MMA athlete that's done a better job synonymizing themselves with the Lone Star State than the Black Beast himself, Derek Lewis. Championing the quality of the community and its people, as well as being an active member himself, especially during times of crisis. Lewis has already secured three fights and three wins inside Texas in the UFC, earning two crowd-pleasing KOs in the process. The UFC initially seemed to want to book John Jones against reigning champion Francis Ngannou, but negotiations haven't taken a turn for the worst and seriously. Seeing as Ngannou was not able to compete until later in the year, it's no wonder that an announcement was made for an interim heavyweight title featuring the headlining hometown hero, Lewis. For the Black Beast, the stars have aligned perfectly with the UFC schedule, effectively gifting him an interim title shot to fill the bill and the pay-per-view schedule of the UFC machine. Derek has certainly done more than enough to earn a shot at the belt, but certainly in this case it pays to have a hometown advantage. You know, it is what it is. Number 9. Zhang Wei Li Ah, and so a pattern already emerges within the UFC's promotional web of MMA math and optimal pay schedules. Zhang Weili made her UFC debut in August 2018, where she promptly picked up three octagon wins in relatively dominant fashion, placing her foot upon the ladder of UFC champion contendership. Fast forward exactly one year, and the UFC have an event that needs filling in a title contender's home country. Oh, I know. How about we attempt to boost the global market in that region by including a title fight in our yearly visit with the octagon? And guess what? That's exactly what the UFC did as they matched up champion Jessica Andrade and China's homegrown contender Zhang Weili at UFC Fight Night 157. Now, of course, Weili had done enough to warrant a legitimate shot at the belt, but you can't help but see the stars align for Weili as well, giving a perfect promotional push to not only the future of Chinese MMA, but to a potential Asian superstar. Andrade, the champion, set foot halfway across the planet to fight the contender Zhang, and everything worked out perfectly for the challenger as she stopped the champion in just 42 seconds. Number 8. Jorge Masvidal, Florida Sandy beaches and golden sunshine have drawn many a pilgrim to the shores of Florida on the US's east coast, but it's lifelong residents and fighters like Jorge Masvidal that have shone a spotlight on its mixed martial arts history, swathe of competitive gyms to trainer, and underbelly of street fighting society. A representative of not only its dark arts with his legacy as Ponytail alongside Kimbo Slice, but also of the Cuban culture that has now taken hold at the heart of the Sunshine State. Any MMA fight that Masvidal conducts on Floridian soil will always be followed by roars and support from its native inhabitants. So, following welterweight champion Kamaru Usman's dispatchment of new rival Gilbert Burns, the queue for the title was pretty full. Leon Edwards was on a 10-fight unbeaten streak, Stephen Thompson had yet to challenge Usman for the title, and a rematch with close rival Colby Covington was surely on the cards. But seeing as the UFC had a big pay-per-view event in Florida coming up, there was of course only one logical choice. Masvidal was booked in for the rematch against Usman, and it certainly helped that this would be the first show with a sold-out crowd since before the pandemic and you can be certain Jorge contributed to the sizable gate. 
So again, being the hometown guy paid off and Masvidal got a second shot at the champion. Number seven, Darren Till, Liverpool. The UFC always love a new breakout star and if they can produce success in the octagon, are often catapulted at terminal velocity towards title contention. Well, the arrival of confident Liverpudlian Darren Till was no different and following three victories in the octagon and smoking Donald Cerrone in a main event spot in Poland, he was presented with his own McGregor-esque headlining show back in his hometown of Liverpool in a title eliminator match against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. The bout was exceedingly close with each individual leg kick being factored into the judges' scoring. Till was of course somewhat aided by the crowd roaring and screaming anytime he came close with a punch as the fight eventually made its way to the scorecards. In what was an extreme controversial decision the judges gave the fight to Darren, with both men throwing exactly 128 significant strikes and Darren pulling ahead by landing just eight more across the five-round contest. Again, note that this list is dubious hometown advantages and there are many MMA fans around the world who would argue Steven was the winner of that fight. Even Wonderboy himself went on record to say if that fight had been in the US, the judges might have scored it differently. A very true statement, Steven, but MMA judges are notoriously different in every state, let alone different countries. Till missed weight, got the nod and went on to compete for the title. Number 6. George St. Pierre, Canada the dominance and brilliance of one of our own mixed martial arts goats, George St. Pierre, can never be denied or even understated, and throughout his career he stood as a beacon of inspiration and success to his home, the Great White North. Canada. No stranger to championship-level performances and title defenses in his country, his battle in 2013 against Nick Diaz at UFC 158 Montreal was no different, as he secured a dominant five-round decision win. The only problem being was that it shouldn't really have been a title fight. You see, just one day prior during the official weigh-ins, Georges Saint-Pierre tipped the scale at 170.4 pounds. Normally, when a champion fails to make weight for a title fight, not only do they forego around 20-30% to 30 of their fight purse to their opponent, but the belt is usually no longer on the line, depending on the commission or the UFC, of course. However, this was not the case, as according to GSP, he was informed by the Quebec Athletic Commission that they would not count the decimal, and instead would be rounding to the nearest whole number. This kind of practice is unheard of amongst athletic commissions, but they did indeed round to 170 and allowed George to compete unimpeded, which of course had nothing to do with the fact he was a Canadian champion defending his belt in his home country. Number 5. Diego Sanchez, Albuquerque I don't know what they put in the water out there in Albuquerque, New Mexico, but it sure does fill folks with a spirited passion for combat sports, reflected through their homegrown champion Holly Holm, world-renowned Jackson Wink Martial Arts Academy, and of course UFC legend and haunter of dreams, the nightmare himself, Diego Sanchez. Both Sanchez and Holm have fought numerous bouts in their careers in Albuquerque, where the support from the home audience has always spirited them to success. But for Diego on the night of UFC Fight Night 42 against Ross Pearson, it seemed to be more than just the crowd that was on his side. The bout itself was a very back-and-forth affair, with Sanchez trying to pressure, but Pearson ultimately countering well, landing the harder shots and pushing for the finish in the final round. It seemed pretty clear that Ross had outmaneuvered, pointed, and worked the nightmare, and the first judge's scorecard represented this with a 30-27 for Ross. But subsequently, a 30-27 for Sanchez followed, as well as a 29-28, naming him the victor. Sanchez raised his arms in celebration with a half-cheering, half-shocked home crowd gleefully joining in. The two judges that gave the fight to Sanchez would never work a UFC event again. Dana White paid Ross his win bonus, and the MMA world just took it on the nose as another bizarre moment in the career of Diego Sanchez. Number 4. Sakuraba, Japan 
Japan's history of MMA is filled with rich lore and amazing characters from within the country itself and outside of it, but when you talk about Japanese superstars, there's really only one name that comes to mind, Kazushi Sakuraba. It was in front of the Japanese audiences in Pride where Sakuraba found glory, becoming somewhat of a golden goose for the promotion, remaining undefeated in his early years and considered one of the best pound for pound. It was during this time at the Pride 2000 Grand Prix where he was matched up with two weeks notice replacement and opposedly injured Guy Mezga in the opening round. As a result, Mezga stipulated in his contract that the fight would be only one round with no overtime. The first round played out with Guy stuffing the takedowns of Sakuraba and landing offense on the feet. The round ended and Mezga expected his hand raised in victory, but the fight was called a draw, forcing it into overtime, avoiding a loss for Sakuraba and allowing him another chance in the fight. Ken Shamrock, who had been cornering Mezga, entered the ring and began shouting loudly at anyone nearby, eventually ordering Mezga back to the dressing room in disgust at what the Pride officials had tried to pull. Guy was declared forfeited and Sakuraba was announced the winner. The crowd cheered anyway, and two minutes after he'd lost a fight, Sakuraba was somehow still undefeated. Yay! Japanese MMA! Number 3. Michael Bisping, England if you don't know much about English culture, we love supporting our own during sporting events, and we love a good song to sing along to as well, and have created wonders including England, 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 and the referee's a wanker. Suffice to say, whenever we here in the UK are graced with the presence of the Octagon, we do everything we can to rally behind the individuals who represent our nation in glorious combat. But even I have a hard time getting on board with what happened at UFC 75 when the Count Michael Bisping was matched up with Matt Hamill in England's capital. London. It was a coming home party for Bisping, picking up steam in the UFC and returning to the UK to bask in the glory and support from the home fans. The fight was a very closely contested back and forth battle, with a major difference being the six takedowns landed by the American across the three rounds. Ultimately, the fight went to a decision with it going split by the way of the Count Bisping. This fight would become a prime example for years when people discuss the advantages of a home crowd, how judges might be swayed by the reactions to big punches or moments of triumph from the local star. 99% of people scored it for Hamill. Maybe if it had indeed been in the US, it would have been awarded thusly, but Bisping didn't think it was close, and that's all that matters. Number 2. Vitor Belfort, Brazil Moving on to another country that likes to show a good bit of old community spirit and join together in a chant to support their hometown heroes, Brazil. Only in this case, Uvamoyer's translation of You Are Going to Die is a little bit more morbid than most others. Among the many, one man in particular was wickedly proficient at championing the fear instilled into opponents by the calamitous roars of its surrounding spectators, none other than the Brazilian son, Vitor Belfort. More dubious, however, is the odd booking schedule Vitor found himself in between 2012 and 2013, fighting and securing four UFC wins all at UFC events in Brazil. Why so strange, you ask? He's Brazilian, why not let him fight in his home country? A valid point, but suspicions were raised alongside the testosterone replacement therapy that Belfort was taking at the time, leading to suggestions that the doctors and drug tests in Brazil were perhaps aiding Belfort in his testosterone exemptions and competing in the US would cause complications. Still, drug tests aside, we've seen preferential treatment given to Belfort during bouts in Brazil, being taken down twice by Anthony Johnson and being gifted a stand-up following a rain of boos from the crowd in both cases. Please God, fighting a Brazilian in Brazil has proves scary enough. Number 1. Fedor Emelianenko, Russia 
So, imagine organizing a whole event and spectacle around one fighter's return to the sport of MMA, hand-picking an opponent, shedding out thousands on orchestras and promotional packages only for the prodigal son's return to be tarnished in controversy. It had been four years away from competitive MMA for Fedor Emelianenko, unless you count that Yideep Singh spectacle, but the Russian-born mixed martial arts GOAT Club member was set to make a return to the sport and supposedly finally signed with the UFC when he headlined Fight Night's Global's 50th event. His opponent, a 39 year old 4 and 6 UFC alumni brawler by the name of Fabio Maldonado, who was not only a weight class below Fedor but hadn't won a fight in nearly three years. The fight, however, did not go Fedor's way. After opening with a flurry, he was dropped by a left hand from Maldonado, who unloaded ground and pound for almost two minutes. When the Russian rose from the canvas at the end of the round, he looked like the waxwork version of himself at the Moscow Madame Two Swords. He battled back a bit, but ultimately still got banged up by the Brazilian Fabio. Despite all this, however, Fedor was somehow awarded the decision decision, but as Kevin Ioli put it, given that Fedor is the head of the MMA federation that assigned the judges, is there any question about the score in this fight? Other journalists such as Luke Thomas and Jeremy Potter labelled the fight a joke. But who was laughing? Russia had successfully resurrected their martial arts legend. A big shout out to Luke Taylor for editing this video. You can find him and some of his amazing artwork on Twitter at cool2me underscore. Shout out to Ben Rosette and the excellent music he provided during the intro video. His music can be found on streaming platforms everywhere. There is a link in the description and follow him at Ben Rosette on Instagram and on Twitter. Thank you very much for watching everyone today. Please go ahead and like and subscribe if you did enjoy the content. We upload at least three videos every week for your viewing pleasure. Go ahead and leave a comment below if you want to join in the discussion and follow us on Twitter at MMA on Point and myself at Balian underscore plays. You can now jump in and join the community discord as well if you want to continue the discussion further and I hope you've enjoyed yourselves. I'll see you in the next one.